Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. This is a special bonus episode of the Wild Womb Podcast where my mom tells her story. Of course, I loved this episode. It was so fun to bring my mom into this space and remember her story and get to talk about it from a different kind of lens. I was born September 12, 1991. I was her first child and things were definitely different then. My mom was young and had very little information, but she did have my grandmother and sisters around all the time, all of whom had given birth. We talk a lot about the importance of support throughout the whole perinatal experience and the importance of asking for help. We talk about breastfeeding difficulties, body shaming, consent, sex ed, and birth trauma. My mom is an incredible woman, always learning and growing and supporting my brother and I through the ever-changing paths we're on. I know we both feel we couldn't have done a lot of what we have done without her particular type of being. So on Mother's Day, I want to honor her and her story, not just as a mother, but as a woman I admire most. Happy Mother's Day, Mom, and to all you other moms out there, you're truly amazing. Well, hello, all. I am Colleen Terrell. I'm actually Kaylee's mom, and I feel very uh, fortunate to be part of the podcast. Um, Here, I live on Cape Cod um, in Massachusetts, and for work, I am uh, the Director of Instructional Technology, uh, which supports teachers and students learning technology in a school system, actually, in the Mashpee Public Schools. I'm not in the field, um, But honestly, when I was having Kaylee, um, or after I had Kaylee, I helped some friends who um, were having twins and got to be in the birth room uh, for quite a long time and kind of helped them through some of their fears while they were going through it. And I thought it was such a cool experience. And I also got to see my niece Molly being born, um, which was also hugely amazing and I didn't even know what a doula was back then and had I known maybe I would have gone that route as well because it was such a um an impactful experience that I have that I can still remember very vividly I'm curious about that um I you can call yourself a tech doula okay I'm a tech doula (laughs) cool (laughs) that's great I love it Um, so what are, what was, who are the twins? What was that like? So the Tim and Lori Medrick were their names. They were friends, uh, dad knew Tim and, um, they were having their first kids. They were about our age too. And so they, we were all young, um, in our twenties and, um, they were having twin boys. Honestly, I can't remember their names, but they were adorable little guys, but Lori had so much, um, difficulty towards the end of the pregnancy she actually developed bell's palsy because of the weight of the babies um and she was really nervous and they were from pittsfield massachusetts which is about at that point um i'd say two and a half three hours away because this was in worcester and so they had no family around and when she went into labor she was terrified and she called me and i told her i would come up so i went up and I didn't stay through the whole birth because, you know, you're not sure Um, they were friends and it becomes awkward. You don't want to be there to see the babies being born. But I stayed a good amount of time to just kind of 
answer questions just because I had gone through it. You know, mm-hmm. I could tell them when the nurse came in and what they were looking at when the monitor was on and, and what it meant or um, just different things that they could have or not have. And, and so it helped to reduce their fears during the birth process. So it's kind of I you. Think that's, I mean, yeah, that's a lot of what we do is like translating what's happening. I don't know how I, and I always say this on this podcast and to anybody, but I really don't know how people give birth without doulas because I don't understand how they can understand what's going on even. You have no idea. Because no one's telling them. Yeah. And I'm, that's what I'm really curious to hear with yours is like going into it with no information, basically. None. Zippo. Yep. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think I was lucky because I at least had sisters who had all gone through births. And although in the waiting room, it was as close as I got, except for Molly. Um, But it helped to ask some questions. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of like a blessing and a curse because Mm -hmm. the more people, and that's something that has come up so much lately is the fact that when you're pregnant or when you're like a new mom, immediately you like lose agency of your own body and everybody has the feeling that they can tell you whatever they think oh is that true (laughs) it's crazy I mean just like I was talking to Chrissy uh for people who don't know that's my cousin who has two kids um and one is like five months old um we were talking about she's been managing to exclusively breastfeed, which was something she wasn't able to do with Avery, her first daughter. Um, And she's really excited about it and has talked about like how much of a better bond she feels like she's been able to establish, which is really cool. Um, But one of her friends doesn't breastfeed and like tells her that uh, because she's still breastfeeding at only five months, um, that the baby's going to not be as independent as she should be. Oh. And all this stuff. It's just crazy what people kind of come up with or, you know, commenting on um, like Nikki, Nikki Inglis, internet, another person that we know yes. from home. Um, she posted a photo of herself on Instagram. She's pregnant again and said something about how um, – someone commented to her about how she's so huge and like couldn't believe what her due date was and and she's like I'm just letting these comments roll off my back but she looks like absolutely stunning like I feel like she's meant to be pregnant that's what she she just looks amazing and it's so crazy for people to just like random strangers to come up and be like, Oh my God, you're so huge. How can they body It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you would never go up to someone who wasn't pregnant and say that. So I just think it's so interesting that once you become like a vessel for something else, it's just, that's it. You're no longer subject to like actual polite life. You're not, you're not. (laughs) It's crazy. Everybody wants to, tell you their birth story and how long it was what scary it is to be a parent and you end up absolutely terrified for me I was so terrified and I don't even know if I've told you this Kaylee but towards the end of um, my pregnancy with you I actually went to therapy because I was so afraid of being a mom and messing up and going through the birth process because of people telling me things or saying things to me I was absolutely afraid 
and you can't, you can talk so much to your family and ask questions and stuff, but it's a whole different story when it's questioning what kind of parent you're going to be or how you're going to survive the delivery because everybody else around you has. So you have no right to feel um, worried or afraid. So you just kind of keep it to yourself until the point where you have to. And that's what I did. I'm glad I did. But it was because of what people had said that scared me so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and kind of thinking of the body shaming. And before we started, I said, I'm not sure I can even remember my story, but it all comes flooding back. Uh, yeah. My first doctor visit, no, second doctor visit. Um, so the way that my practice worked is Dr. Reversa was my main doctor. I had to see all the doctors in the practice. That way I would know each of them if they were the doctor on call when they went in to have you. And um, so I, it was the first time I was seeing a doctor that wasn't my own. And she was the meanest mm-hmm. doctor and she was body shaming me. She told me I gained too, weight, too much weight and I was going to be so fat that I wasn't going to be able to deliver and it wasn't going to be safe. And she was so awful. I left in tears crying. And I told my That's doctor so what happened and I told him I would absolutely not see her. I didn't care. She was going to be on call. I would refuse when I got to the hospital. Thankfully, I didn't have to deal with that, but she was just so awful to me. I just wouldn't see her again. Yeah, it's crazy. And that still happens too. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but with doctors, like we are having all the, these conversations in the doula community, the one on Facebook that is just like a network for all of the doulas in New York. And it comes up often about people having clients whose doctor, and there's like a few specific ones who seem to be uh, really tending to do this, but we'll tell them that they need to like cut out all carbs and that they're gaining too much weight. And they're going to say like the baby's too big. Like just even that saying like, Oh, the baby's too big is like a way of them kind of body shaming because really the way that they measure how big the baby is, is off two pounds either way. Usually like that's the, that's the, um, what is it? Margin of error for, for that. And so, and you know, that's a whole other thing because that leads to people getting induced or having C-sections when it's not necessarily accurate, but yeah, they, they use these things to like shame women about their bodies and turn it into like a health issue when it's not. And They're just creating such a sick mindset for women. And it's so sad because you're taking care of a baby. Your body is providing the nourishment in life for another life. I mean, let it be and do what it's meant to be. And it's different for everyone. And and it shouldn't matter. The amount of weight people gain is so arbitrary. And like, I don't know, I know... I had a friend in high school who had a baby and she she gained like 75 pounds. She was like a teeny stick when she first got pregnant and then that all went away and but it doesn't always have to like that doesn't matter either. It just like it does is no indicator of your health. No, it's not. And it's so terrible that doctors get into people's heads about this. You know, and I I may have shared this with you before but um uh, Uncle Tom's brother, when his mom was pregnant for her, him, um, 
they the doctor prescribed barbiturates because he wanted her to lose weight because he felt that she was gaining too much because she had gained I think like 20 pounds during the entire pregnancy which is nothing um yeah that's but crazy. he was he was giving her um speed basically so that she would lose weight and yeah, that was really common in the 60s, it really 60s was. and 70s. Yeah. It used to happen all the time. It's insane. Yeah, so that was during the 60s. So the it, he was the youngest of seven, and she was taking diet pills to <laughs> during pregnancy. That's just insanity to me. See, that's the thing that I think in, like, 20 years we're going to look back on some stuff they do now and be like, can you believe that they did this? Probably. And that's why I just don't trust doctors. <laughs> I know you don't. <laughs> you never have. No. <laughs> From the time you were little and would lock the pediatrician out of the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you were too. <laughs> Western medicine is not for me. No, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, um, so okay, let's let's hear your story. So, what do you want to know? Well, what do you want to tell? I would love to hear. I mean, as much as you want to share. Um, we can talk about. I don't know. You don't have to like talk about every detail of the birth, but. Um, I would I'd be curious to know how it's different now. So, which I know you wouldn't necessarily know, but like what your pregnancy was like and, you know, what your process of actual birth was. Okay. So pregnancy, um, with you, I, I don't remember the amount of weight I gained to tell you the truth. And I know that was just what we matter. were talking about. And it doesn't, it doesn't, but it did in the beginning with that crazy doctor. Yeah. But um, I'm glad. And what did you do to respond to that? Like, how did you manage that? Well, I wanted to punch her, but I couldn't obviously do that. <laughs> no, I mean, you you could. Know, like I said, I, I told my doctor <laughs> I would not go back to her and it didn't, I have to say, I it, I mean, it clearly bothered me and it's something I remember, but I didn't let it prevent me from just being me and letting my body do what it needed to do for you. Um, so I just went with the pregnancy and I stayed away from that crazy doctor and my doctor said I was fine and not to listen to her. So he was super supportive. Um, he was just such a good That's doctor. Good. He was great. Um yeah, I really liked him a lot. But the, the pregnancy, I, I think in the beginning, I remember always being really tired those first couple months. I think I'd fall asleep anywhere. Um, quite, yes, quite literally anywhere. I'd conk out because I was exhausted all the time. Um, but it wasn't, <laughs> I, I think I got sick like twice. So I didn't have any of the nausea that other people have. It, That's yeah, good. it went, it really, when I think about it, it went pretty smoothly. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of problems other than the fact that you were due on September 1st and you weren't born until September 12th. <laughs> so you, you wanted right. to hang out a little bit. So that was yeah. okay. <laughs> And I wonder how well, accurate that was. Too. See, that's another thing is that I think like now there's been such an emphasis on that date, like the due date and not going over 41 weeks. As soon as someone does even like 40 and five, they start to be like, all right, if you don't have the baby by this day, we're going to induce. And it's kind of crazy because I mean, 
like unless you kind of totally planned it I think and like you're like I know because this is when the doctor inseminated me then you it's hard to know what your due date is right and I know even for Dylan for your brother um I was pretty sure that the due date that they gave me was not correct and I was closer to what I thought so I thought he was going to be on June 29th and he was born on July 2nd. So I was really close where um, they had me, I think, on June 24th that he was supposed to be due. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I was a little closer. But for you, I don't think I was 100 percent sure. So, um, yeah. And like it's also really normal, especially for first babies to be like two weeks late even. Yeah, I hear that a lot. But not pleasant, I'm sure. No, because by the end, you just you just want you to come out. <laughs> and it was hot. Yeah. And it was September. But but okay, so I'm I I should really back up. It wasn't it wasn't that great of a bur- uh, a pregnancy in July. <laughs> so <laughs> because I my feet swelled so bad that I was bedridden for um, about four days at one point. And the doctor would, uh, had me drinking like at least a gallon of water a day. He was like, you have to double up. Um, and I had to stay off my feet and it was because it was so hot out. Um, we were breaking record temperatures. It was in the hundreds and, um, just, he really was concerned about keeping the fluid down, um, for me. And I would, have extra tests to make sure there was no gestational diabetes which they do anyway but he would send me for extra ones because he was concerned so that part of it and it was really like the month of July where it was concerning but it seemed to kind of work itself out and that didn't happen again so I just I had to stay off my feet as much as I could when I wasn't at work um, except for that like four or five days where I was like home and had to be with my feet up and elevated over my heart. I do remember that. It's what you forget after yeah. 26 years. So, you know. Yeah. that I always feel so bad for women in the summer that are super pregnant. It just seems like the worst. Yeah. Doing winter would be so much better. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've um, had a conversation with a client I had last year. Um, who had her baby on April 21st Mm -hmm. and she was saying how that was just like the best time to have a baby because you know they had like the last little tail bit of cold weather to kind of get like a little bit settled and healed up and then were able to spend you know all of her time in maternity leave outside and it was just lovely that does sound like a perfect time of year that sounds ideal yeah maybe I can do it again yeah (laughs) next time time. exactly (laughs) it would be very strange to me if you had a baby the age that I am that would be a little odd no I'm sorry you don't have to do that but do it live your dreams (laughs) I am good I don't really need one thing I'm okay Um, what was your, did you do childbirth education? Yes. Um, we did Lamaze. Um, and, um, I, I, I know now that that's not such a big deal, but it was then like everybody had to go through it, it or didn't have to, but it was, you know, highly recommended. And it's like the most popular one. Right? right, right, right. And we had a great teacher, a great class. And, 
actually uh, were a bit of movie stars from it because they did a film and then they used the film that Dad and I and you, obviously, were in um, for future Lamaz classes. So, Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I bet it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's probably hilarious. <laughs> but yes, we were the stars because um, for years later, they I would meet people and they'd say, wait, I think you were in our Lamaze video. <laughs> really? Yes. That's so funny. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, so my understanding is that Lamaze has really changed. Um, I've heard that. So some actually someone who was on this podcast, Kiyuki, on episode three or four. And maybe that's where um, I heard that and I hadn't heard that yeah, before. Yeah. She said their their new tagline is not your ma's Lamaze. Yes, yes, that's right. It was your podcast. Yeah. I loved that. And they don't do the breathing thing. Like that's not really part of it anymore. It's more just like a philosophy. Yeah, that I kind guess. of blew me away because it was such a big deal. Yeah, and that's what I always think of when I think of Lamaze. But um, they do a lot of, like, professional childbirth education now. So it's for people to, like, become childbirth educators. And, um, yeah, it just seems like a totally different thing. But then it was really to focus your breathing so that you weren't focusing on the pain. Um, and you learned, you know, your typical, you know, bur- the breathing, which is, you know, kind of silly. But it did help. Um, yeah, we also learned some techniques like I had a lot of back labor with you and like they told us to bring a tennis ball and that helped because it's massaging the back in the right, right way. And I mean, I bring those in my birth bag. Oh, OK. All right. So, yeah, it, dad was using them like a doula um, and and they do. They give them to the dad to do that and they would recommend- make them useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. They recommend to bring in music if that's something that you like or pictures anything that will sort of divert your attention away from the pain um so it wasn't just breathing and you know you obviously you did the breathing but also how your your partner was supposed to support you during during the process like getting behind you and holding on to you so that they could help push or support you when you're um in the labor process so it was actually quite extensive we also uh, had um, breastfeeding um, movies that we watched um, to help us to learn techniques and a, um, a breastfeeding, a certified breastfeeding person. I don't know what they're called. I know that's what you have. IBCLC? Yeah. No, you no, don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm a certified breastfeeding counselor, but an IBCLC is, is more like, I like to say like the doctor of breastfeeding. You really, you go through like extensive schooling and training. It was probably a counselor, though, because she only spent a little time with us, but just to kind of give us a, a better understanding of what it was like and what we were going to do. And um, Okay. Did you find that yes, helpful? Yes, I did, because I was a little nervous about it. But I also had Auntie Eileen, who breastfed all of the kids, so she was also a support. So she was almost like my own personal counselor. So I'd ask her a lot of questions, especially with the breastfeeding. That's good. Yeah, and... When we left, um, the nurse who uh, from my doctor's office contacted us, and and she was also a support, so we could call and ask questions. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, that was helpful. That doesn't happen often. No, not at all. And you know what? It wasn't offered when I had Dylan just two years later, less than two years later. It was only with you. 
Interesting. Mm. I think it was probably the person in the office. Who knows? Was breastfeeding encouraged? Yes. Or was, okay, so that was like their trajectory? Yes, definitely. And that was new. So that wasn't, that wasn't the push, push a few years before that, but um, that was definitely their push when I was having you. I think times okay. had changed, you know, for a long time, you know, even some of your cousins when they were born, they, their moms were told, no, you are to bottle feed, you use formula that's healthier, which was so wrong. Um, yeah, but that, that was the idea for a long yeah, time. So it was just that turning point, probably a couple of years before you were born. Okay. Cause Aaron was breastfed. Yeah. Yeah. So some of your other older cousins, but yet, you know, some that were are in their thirties were not, and it was not even encouraged at all, even a little bit. Yeah, no, they definitely were. And, and I'm really curious about how that would go like physically. What do you mean? You know, for like how that would feel to just never breastfeed. Yeah, because you do kind of have a desire to to breastfeed. Yeah, it's I mean, it's a very natural like, thing. Natural. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems wrong not to. And, 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 I, and I don't mean well, wrong against anybody, but wrong for your body. <laughs> like, like you're supposed to be doing something because you do have um, milk that comes in and it seems like, okay, I'm supposed to do this. This is naturally how I'm supposed to do it. But so it has to be a different feeling, I would imagine. Well, did it feel very instinctual to you to, to do that? Like, I know, I mean, of course, people have so many issues oh, with breastfeeding yeah. and it's and a... It's a really complicated subject and it's, you know, it's, it's just like, a, it's way more complicated than it seems like it should be. But did you feel like it was an instinctual thing to do that you kind of like, just, I don't know. Yeah. You just felt like you should do it, that like your body needed to do it yes or was it? No. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because of all the physical things that are happening, but no, because it, you know, the idea of it too was also a little like, what? This is, this is strange that my body can produce this for this baby. Um, and it was hard. It, you, you didn't latch on right away. Um, at, at first it was okay, uh, but very quickly it wasn't. And it, and the process from, you know, uh, the first couple of weeks into actually when your milk comes in was difficult. And, um, although I had the nurse that I could call and I had ID Eileen, I didn't have the support right there at home. You know, having a doula Mm -hmm. probably would help that, you know, somebody that could come back and support you or, or someone that's a breastfeeding counselor, because it's, it's overwhelming. And then you start to get tired, um, because you're not sleeping right. And you're, you feel like you're the one so, so responsibly, so responsible for this child. And I think that plays a huge role into being successful. So then there's so many emotions that come along with it that, um, you don't expect. So no, it's not, you know, and, but yes, it is in the very beginning because you think you should, and because of what yeah. your body's producing and what it's doing, but then it's after that when it reality, I guess, hits that it becomes really difficult. That's the thing I, I find really interesting about about breastfeeding is because like when someone gives birth, I always stay 
I mean, it might just be a half hour, it might be two hours, whatever it is to get the first latch. Yeah. And that usually happens pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Like relatively speaking, it might not be immediate, but it's not that that first one is usually not very complicated and just kind of like happens. And I feel like that's where the most instinctual stuff exists. It's just like the natural thing that happens. But then after that is when people have all of the issues that arise. And I, I guess that's where the instinct does kick in is that beginning and it's okay. But you start yeah. to worry that the baby's not getting enough food because you can't tell, you know, right. and you worry that they're not latching on properly. And, and again, that, that being tired and then your breast can get very chapped and sore and then, then it feels really uncomfortable. So then it doesn't feel natural. It just hurts. Yeah. And also so many of those things are things that like don't have to be that way, but because it's such an under supported process because people aren't given the resources that they need, they don't realize that like it doesn't actually have to be that hard and there there are ways that we can adjust it to make it easier and more seamless but you know there's usually too much time passes yeah. before people get to get the care right. right and i definitely didn't get the care i needed and and you're right it wasn't pushed as much as it could have and had it been like today I probably would have breastfed for a heck of a lot longer because I really wanted yeah. to. I knew how good it was for you, and I wanted to make sure I got to a point that, you know, I, I could. I, I expected to breastfeed for the first year, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, and that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't – I think I got, like, four months with you and six months with Dylan, um, but it was not an easy four months at all. No, no. I, 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 maybe it was even less than that. Um, but I wanted to give up because it was painful and it was uncomfortable. And I was supplementing a lot with bottles too, um, with formula because I would get nervous that you weren't getting enough. And it was also very uncomfortable. Interesting. Yeah. Like fevers and, you know, just really swollen breasts and struggles. You were having yeah. fevers? Yeah. So you were having mastitis? That's awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. It's too bad because (laughs) if I I just wish that I had a little bit more, um, I don't know, support in that because that was definitely something that I had wanted from the beginning was to be able to breastfeed you guys both. Yeah. Yeah, As soon as I found out because I knew it was good. And it was just that swing of really pushing to breastfeed. So there was a lot more literature out there about just how good it was. Yeah. I mean, but that's so also, I feel like you kind of are undermining how hard it was and how intense it was by saying, you know, just uncomfortable and fever. You had mastitis and it sounds like it was awful. (laughs) And I don't know. And that's okay. I mean, I mean, like it's, I think it's important to recognize the fact that that's how it is, that that's, it's like so beyond just uncomfortable Yeah, it is when it's it bad, is true. you know, but I mean, but at the same time in the very beginning, like we talked about, it seemed like, well, it should be pretty easy because it went all right, but it does quickly, yeah. it does quickly go downhill um, it, or easily can. So it is tough. Yeah. I mean, it does just seem like you just put the baby on the boob and yep. that's it. But that's it's, how it looks on TV. Yeah. There's a lot more to <laughs> yeah, it. It is. <laughs> 
And then there's things like tongue tie or, yeah, thrush and mastitis or whatever else can come up. It's it's not an easy thing all the but time. But even besides that, it's also societal's focus on it because during that time, I mean, people look down at you if you breastfed and, and God forbid you did that in public that was just an, not allowed, not accepted, frowned upon you could be ridiculed. So you had to be really careful about that stuff too. People were uncomfortable. Um, I mean, I think that's still the yes, case. I feel I like, and there's definitely been such a big push for, you know, normalized breastfeeding. And I definitely see a lot of women here who are just like totally openly breastfeeding and it's amazing. But I, I think of like working in restaurants and, I one of the last places I worked um there was a woman who's a regular who would always just breastfeed and she was like totally open about it and people I worked with be like oh my god I can't believe she's just got her boob outlet this is a restaurant so gross and it's so crazy like that's the common idea and it doesn't it's just absurd it is absurd (laughs) but you're right it's still today like I can hear somebody say it although I haven't but you know it's I think that's typical that's the norm. And I don't know how we can just break it, but other than keep doing it so that people get comfortable. Yeah. I think, yeah, just keep doing it and keep making people see and it's like normal understanding that it's not a sexual thing. It's just feeding a baby. Right, right. I mean, that's the thing. It's just, it's sexualizing women's bodies. And if we could, if we could stop doing that, a lot of things would be Gee, better. It really would. <laughs> if only. <laughs> If I've ever made a blanket statement, that would that be would it. That would definitely be it. It's a good one. <laughs> but the birth itself yeah. um, for you was pretty traumatic um, for both of us. Uh, I started into labor. I remember it was like a Thursday afternoon and I was at Nana's house and I could, I was starting to feel contractions. So we were sort of keeping track and I knew it was the beginning and they were intensifying. And, um, later that night, just called the doctor and told him what was going on. He's like, okay, why don't you come in? And I went in and we were there. They hooked me up on a monitor and, um, we were in the hospital for a few hours. They had me walk around to see if there were any changes and um, then they sent me home. And why did you go to the hospital? Because then? my contractions were like a couple minutes apart. Okay. And what were you doing to like manage the contractions uh, at home? Just kind of breathing through them and walking around and really not a whole lot of anything else. Cause I don't think I really knew what else to do if there was anything. I don't really know. Um, but so when we went in and then we got sent home, that was like, what? It was a little devastating. And we tried to sleep and you can't sleep. I don't think I slept right. at all. And I went back in and um, they kept me and it took forever. So total of, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I know you've heard this story. It was 36 hours. Um, yeah. three hours of, well, what I was told was hard labor. So it was pushing. And, um, I remember like at one point, like just screaming, like, Oh, 
you know, like, okay, during pushing, and the doctor's like, why are you screaming? And like, hello, it's been three hours. What do you want? And I've been in at this, yeah. in this pain forever. Like, I'm done. Um, but never did anyone that I can remember, and maybe it's different back then, but um, that I can remember right now really kind of talked you through what to expect and what was going on and, you know, not to worry so that, because I was worried, like, should I be home? Should I be in the hospital? What am I supposed to do? I don't remember someone just kind of like explaining things. So you're just kind of guessing. You don't know. Yeah. I think that they still don't do that now. And that's where, that's where I mean, like, I can't imagine giving birth without a doula or just somebody who could like advise you through that stuff. I mean, that's what people a lot of the times are, if they're, you know, not interested at all in any like coping mechanisms or anything it's just to be like well when do I go to the hospital they need to know that you know right and you know and when you say coping mechanisms like I wanted to have a natural birth I would I didn't want to have the medication I didn't want to have an epidural or any of those things and my doctor was so against it and he was pretty open but he was not open to that and he really tried to convince me to have an epidural and I said I really don't want anything he said he told me you'll have a much more natural birth if you have an epidural because you won't be in so much pain. That doesn't make any no, sense. No, but what do I know? Right? No, no, I know. But like, what? It did, I'm just curious. Right. Like, what? What did you even mean? Right, because right. But he said that the experience. You'll have a more natural no. birth. No, no, that's an intervention. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> no, I agree with you. But he said that you. Not that they're wrong, but it's just like, yeah, that's just not true. Because a natural birth is being able to naturally enjoy the baby. And I wouldn't be able to. That's insane. I know. (laughs) If he's listening, Dr. Reversa, that was a bad thing to tell me. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, it was the time, I'm sure, is part of it. Because they're trying to keep you as comfortable as possible. And they wanted to. Well, I mean, they still do that today, essentially, to be totally honest. Yeah, I remember the first birth I went to in New York um, was up in the Bronx. And uh, my client, she, I mean, she, her labor was pretty quick. And I couldn't believe how fast it was going. Like, she, to me, seemed like she was having really hard labor, but it didn't, like, I don't know, her contractions were short and it just didn't seem like it was really active labor. And I thought she was just like more emotionally distressed. Then we got to the hospital and she was like six centimeters along. It's like, oh, wow, she really is in this. (laughs) Um, And she really didn't want an epidural. And that's why she wanted to have a, a doula. And right away when you go into triage, every single person who's there asks you if you want an epidural. And she just kept getting asked. And so, and like we had talked beforehand about if that were going to happen, because I know that that does happen, um, that she wanted me to um, like not stop them from saying that, but ask her like to like kind of redirect it to be like, okay, do you want to keep being asked if you want an epidural or do you want to just labor on as you are? And so I did that and her doctor was like, like didn't address me but addressed the whole room saying that um it wasn't right for anybody to refuse her pain management and that the best way for her to have this birth was to have an epidural because she's going to be way more comfortable and that she shouldn't let herself be swayed by other people's opinions wow 
It was crazy. That was the only time I've had like a hostile experience with a doctor, but wow. Yeah, it's in in every single birth. I actually um one of the episodes that will come out pretty soon with the the couple um from a year ago who had they gave birth. Um she she had had a spinal surgery when she was a kid for scoliosis oh, so to fuse her. her spine. Yeah. yeah, and so she couldn't um get an epidural, like they can't insert it. And so that was like one of the big reasons that they had a doula because they knew going in that that wasn't an option. So she was going to need a lot more support than somebody who might have that option. Um, And, you know, they had said to everybody ahead of time, don't ask because like when you're going through it and you know you can't have it, it's going to be awful to be asked. And every single person asked her if she was having an epidural and then she'd be like, no, I can't. They'd be like, are you sure if you met with the anesthesiologist and she's in the middle of labor and they're asking her if she's sure about her medical history. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, then I really don't get it. <laughs> just Why are you pushing it, it so much? I, yeah. I don't know if it's better for them to not see you in pain. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's a bit easier, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That was the only time that he was pretty demanding about, you really should think about that. And I was pretty demanding right back that I didn't want to. Um, And so he told me I I needed to be given statal, it was called, I think. And so he said, you know, it's going to be like your your baby's drugged. And that will cut off some of the... um, pain for you and um but it, yeah and really made me feel bad about it and I was like oh my god I'm dragging my child like I like that was the only two options that I'd have but he said it like you have to yeah. do this and this is what oh, that's no. crazy yep. this is what they would be giving me and he didn't he was never mean at all so it was more like stating the facts of this is what's going to happen um but saying it and like that's not that's not true. It but doesn't need what to be do true. I know, you know? <laughs> no, exactly, so... exactly. But that's what I mean is like the problem of they're they're saying it in a way that like this is just true and you just accept it. You don't have any space to question right. it. And and you don't because you don't know any better, so you don't. And I did end up with an epidural because it was so long and I think they started to get nervous that they were going to have to give me a C section. And um so they talked me into it and I did. And you know, I, I don't know. I I cannot actually have an epidural or I shouldn't say that I can have an epidural, but I don't, it does not work. But it doesn't work. Correctly. Yes. <laughs> so you can have one for the, for the shits and giggles. Yeah, of it. kind of. I mean, it, will, it cut off some of the pain, um, but the anesthesiologist explained it like a bubble. He said that I would always, if I ever had another child, I had to tell the anesthesiologist that it would not work. Um, They gave me two with you and I could still feel most of it. Um, And the same thing for Dylan. So they knew going in with Dylan that um, I did not function the same way as other people. So I would always have like a portion of my body. So like it was almost like one side of my body or a portion of one side of my body would go numb and the other one wouldn't. And I feel it anyway. So it didn't really matter. So it's interesting that they did it with Dylan too then. Yeah, be, well, because Dylan was um, sunny side up, so they had to go in and turn him. And so they, it was, I was talked into that it would at least cut some of the pain because that would be difficult. 
Um, and so they had to do a lot of additional work to get him to turn before he was born. Huh. See, now they wouldn't do that. Yeah, but they did uh, then. I don't know what they do That's now. That's interesting. Well, now they'll deliver sunny side up babies. It's not an ideal position and it's definitely like way more intense yeah. for moms because you have all the back labor and it's usually a lot longer of a birth. Um, but they won't, they won't like go in and turn them as far as I know. So Dylan's was much faster. So I went in at midnight. I had been having labor for a couple hours. Um, not even actually just just contractions that were happening maybe for two hours uh, or maybe an hour and then I went in because they were coming pretty quickly and I knew it was different than with you and so I went in and he was born at six in the morning so but he also got turned and the doctor said if he was correct I probably would have had him within the hour he was coming fast. That's crazy. Yeah. See, I mean, second babies come a lot faster, but um, yeah, I'm sure because I'm sure that if, yeah, if he, if he was properly positioned, it would have been sooner. That's wild. Because they said, I remember the doctor saying to me, you know, if you decide to have a third, you need to tell them this because you'll probably have it less than an hour. And so that means that as soon as you start labor, you need to come into the hospital because although you took so long um, you know, he said it was probably because I was so young and it was the first baby and all that mixed up and who knows, but once you've gone through it once and then it's fast, you're, you're supposed to be possibly have it even faster, susceptible to a fast yeah. birth. That's interesting. I wonder if there was a reason that I was so long because no. I mean, usually it's not that much of a difference. It was a you huge 30-hour difference. Yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah. That's a huge difference in, in speed. It certainly is. And, you know, I, I say 30 hours, but it was probably more than that when because the labor started or the contraction started much earlier than that even. So it's it was For quite me. a Yeah, yeah, it was quite yeah. a lot. So um, long time. But, yeah, I, you do wonder, like, what was it? What was the holdup? And when yeah. you were born, they, they, they let me see you for a second. And then I didn't see you for a while. Interesting. Yeah, you had meconium staining and some other stuff. They were cleaning you out. So I think it went a lot longer than it ever should have. So I was, I mean, the meconium is, is a sign of distress yeah. in the baby. So there, there probably was something. Up. Yeah. Yeah. And they just never told me. Yeah. Which is probably fine. You don't really always. I mean, don't need to know. I think at this point you don't need it's to know. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. You're a very healthy person, so it's all good. I'm alive and well. Yes. Still kicking. <laughs> well, you said that you had a lot of back labor with me. Yes. Did they say anything about the positioning? No, never. Huh. No, there was, was never at- a concern about your position, but there was never a concern for Dylan's. Well, no, that's not true. The last, the last visit before I went into the hospital, I remember the doctor saying, well, hopefully he'll turn before you go um, because otherwise we're going to have to turn him. So he hadn't turned properly. So he did know that, but you, that was never, never a conversation. Yeah. They don't always know that ahead of time. They, I mean, they would if you, if um, a baby's breached, but they don't usually look for 
or not always. They don't always look to see beforehand. They kind of will guess depending on how labors will go, or they can sometimes tell, but obvious if the baby is posterior or not. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. And then there's a lot of ways that you can kind of do different movements to help turn the baby. And they don't always work, but there are some things that you can do. Yeah, too. they have me walking around, laying on different sides. Uh, I'm trying to remember quite a, quite a few different things. But the hospital was also the busiest it had been, they said, all year, the night that he was born. So um, they had even moms in the hallway delivering. Yeah. Yeah. I just happened to be lucky enough to get a room. <laughs> Do you remember how long you were in the hospital afterwards? For you? Yeah, for or both for both of, of us. Um, for Dylan, I was in longer uh, than you, um, even though your birth was longer. Um, so you had jaundice, yes, right? And, yes. So they had some concerns. So they had us stay an additional night. So we didn't go home. He was born on the second in the morning. We didn't go home until the fourth or the the fifth. Might have been the fifth. I remember watching the fireworks from the hotel rooms. I mean, from the hotel room. Yeah, I had the hotel room (laughs) from the hospital um, because they could see over into the park where they put them off. And I believe that we didn't get home until the fifth. But you, I think it was just... um, just a night I think it was just a night that I stayed huh that's interesting because you were born in the middle of the night so kind of like a day and a half yeah okay I mean so you I mean your labor was long and you were in the hospital for a long time in labor right like at least 12 hours yeah. yeah definitely more than that more than that what did you do in that time what was that like they sent me walking as much as um I could and um it was long sitting in the room it was long it was just long um dad looked like he'd been run over by a truck because he hadn't slept either (laughs) yeah the dads always look so (laughs) rough you'd think they were the one usually worse than the women in labor honestly (laughs) sometimes I'm like Man, get together. Put <laughs> yourself together, man. You're not laying in this bed. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what it was. I, it's funny. I have, it's usually dads. Uh, it's happened a few times and they're just kind of like, they just look like they've been destroyed. <laughs> like they've partied for three days exactly. straight or something. And they'll be like, man, I just, I don't know how I'm going to do this with the baby. I'm so tired. I can't deal with like no sleep. Hello. And it's so funny. <laughs> That's why women have babies and men do not. <laughs> well, you know, the whole care structure would be totally different oh, if that gosh, were the case. Yeah. <laughs> Poor babies. It's why yeah. it would be terrible. It is why we have them, not the, what, not the men. <laughs> there was a really funny um, Saturday Night Live, maybe two weeks ago, um, a sketch about... Um, they had like experimented and uh, had the man be the one carrying the baby. And it was like the, they did a conference on the, the first man who succeed, like successfully carried, I think triplets, but they, they told him at the conference that it was triplets. And he was like, yeah, we're going in for the C-section tomorrow. And they're like, Oh no, actually what we're going to do is we're going to do like a, a penile birth. And, 
it's he's saying he's gonna have to deliver the baby through his penis and he was just like what how is that gonna fit through this <laughs> that's how it should be though and they're like yeah that's that's what we all are feeling <laughs> how does that watermelon fit through exactly. this exactly like what how <laughs> I think that should happen. It would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's really funny. I'll have to I, find I need that. To watch that. I episode. think that that's something I'll send to you and also link here because I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> that <sounds> great. <laughs> I went to watch it. Oh. Uh, Someone once yeah, described a birth as pulling your lip. That's what it would feel like, and I think that's true. I don't even know who it was, but I remember hearing that once. It, I yeah, heard that. It's yeah, probably that kind of pain. You just don't expect it. I think, um, and it's not until the very end uh, that you are in that kind of pain. But it is crazy pain. Yeah, that ring yeah. of fire. Yeah, that's when you're actually stretching. Yeah. It is. It, you yeah, do, yeah, feeling like you're on fire. It's probably why I was screaming. When I was having you, like, I'm done and this hurts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did they try to quiet you when you oh, were yelling? Yeah. The doctor asked me why I was screaming. Ugh, that's so yeah, gross. But like, hello, I'm I'm hurting. <laughs> that would be why. Because I'm in labor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, but all in all, it, just the the treatment and how how nice everybody was when I was having you was good. When I was having Dylan, that was not the case necessarily. The nurses were amazing. The doctor who delivered um, Dylan was just not a very good person. And um, he really? was brought up on malpractice, um, well, a few malpractice suits shortly thereafter. And um, oh, wow. when my doctor first saw me after, and honestly, for when I saw him for a couple of years after, um, he mm-hmm. would always make mention of the episiotomy that the doctor gave me and mm-hmm. it greatly because I was basically hacked. Oh my God. I didn't know you had an episiotomy. Yeah, I did with Dylan and, um, I mean, it's not, it wasn't done correctly. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So he was always so angry about that. And how that all went and happened. And I mean, for one doctor to say that about another doctor, you know, it wasn't good. And saying it to the patient. What was that like then? I would like to hear about that. I I don't know, you know, what was right or what wasn't. And you hear about people getting an episiotomy. So you think it's part of it. Um, But it was he was just so upset. You're so visibly upset that um he said what he had done was wrong and but there's nothing you can do to correct it at that point how did that do you remember why he did the episiotomy because Dylan was turned and he couldn't they couldn't get him out Hmm. so they said he the doctor said he had to do it but it was like he just like chopped me yeah they, I'm sure they didn't actually like fully ask you. No, he just told me. There was no asking. That's crazy. Uh, not at all. Um, he said, "I'm going to do an episiotomy in order to get to get him the baby out," and he just hacked. You know, me. I bet that wasn't necessary it, at all. It probably wasn't. 
they don't really do episiotomies anymore. It's like very rare that I hear that they do, and it's usually it's a very like old school doctor. Well, that's good to because it's really like understanding that it's way harder to heal from. Yeah. Even if you have a tear that's like mm-hmm. really bad, it's easier to heal from because it's your body has done it, you know, and it it will just come back together more more better yeah. <laughs> than if you were cut. And usually the cuts are actually deeper, like they might be smaller. Some I mean, I'm just kind of saying this, but um they're usually deeper and like more in the muscle tissue than just the skin tissue. It depends. People can have awful tears, but they, they generally will heal better. And I definitely had tearing tear. with you, but with Dylan, it was the, the, the episiotomy that never should have happened. And what was your healing like? A lot longer and uncomfortable. Um, quite a lot longer, actually. And I think that was part of his concern. Yeah. But what do you do? You're... You right. don't have any choice. You don't know what's right. You're about to have a baby. It's not like you can stop and research to find out, like, is this right? Is this what's supposed to happen? So you're stuck. You're at the mercy of the doctor and you just kind of have to go with it. And so you, you're you hoping and trusting that they're doing the right thing. And that's not always the case. And it clearly right. wasn't with this guy. Because I trusted my doctor immensely, even even with the whole, you know, thing about the medication and, and all of that. Um, I did trust him, but this guy, not at all. And I, I, he didn't really speak to me very much when he came in the room. He introduced himself and checked me and then, boom, gave me the episiotomy. And just, and that was like, I'm going to do this. And that was pretty much for the extent of his extent of his conversation with me. He was not a nice person at all. That's yeah. Awful. Thankfully, for the nurses who were great, and a couple of them even, you know, kind of made snide comments to let you know that they weren't so crazy about this guy either. But he, it was maybe a year or two after Dylan was born that he um, was no no longer practicing. Well, that's good, but that's really terrible. Right. right. I'm sorry you had to go through well, that. Well, thank you, but nothing you can do. I survived it. Dylan's healthy. I'm healthy. I mean, it maybe took a little longer to heal, but it all worked out okay. But do you do you feel like you had fully healed? I know that there's scarring there. I can yeah. feel it. And so it's not correct, but... Um, so I guess fully healed, but you know, you'll, I'll always know it's what happened. See, that's wild. Yeah. That's where, um, that this, uh, like scar remediation therapy that I was telling you about. Yes. That's one of the things that's a part of it is like, that's considered a trauma that happens in birth to people and that that can be fixed you know, that, that, that scar tissue can be relieved. That would probably be a it's, good idea. Yeah. I'd be, I would just be curious, like, cause I, I don't, I don't totally know a ton about it, but I, I want to learn a lot more, but just how that could impact like your, like your reproductive health in general and your physical and mental health. Yeah. Um, this woman, um, so she, I've, I talked about this book before, 
on here, um, but it, she wrote this book called The Fourth Trimester, and um, she, her name's Kimberly Johnson. I wonder, it would be maybe cool for you to read, even though it's been many years. Like, it, it might be interesting. It sounded interesting just to see. Uh, when you've talked to me about it. Yeah. Um, she had had, like, a home birth, and it was, like, on paper, a perfect situation, but ended up, um, I I don't know if it was that she prolapsed. I forget exactly what her situation was, but she had some pelvic floor trauma and was in constant pain and had like a really hard recovery from the, I think like her situation after giving birth, like her life situation was a little bit weird. So I'm sure that impacted it as well. Like she didn't have any support and was living in a different country and, um, all that but she considers her postpartum period to be six years long because that was like six years of being in pain all of the time from this birth and just like not feeling like herself and whether that was you know like actual constant physical pain or not but just feeling like totally out of her body um and also having pain and then when she got this therapy it just like and she had a lot of scar tissue and she said afterwards, and she had tried all of these things, and she's, you know, like very much in the natural health world. She's like a yoga practitioner, and I think she does Reiki. And, um, but anyway, in this like two sessions, her scar tissue actually went away and she like healed. And so every time she has a podcast, actually, and whenever she talks about her experience, she starts crying and she's like talked on all these panels. And it's amazing wow. that it's like been so impactful and a lot of people have had that experience that they've just been like so desperate for anything to make them feel like themselves again. And then they get this therapy done and feel like they can take back their, their bodies. I never had anything like that at all. I mean, yeah, no. And, and most people don't, but that's what I'm so curious. Like it just seems like such a powerful yeah, it thing. It. I mean, yeah, it took longer to recover with discomfort and stuff, but probably a few weeks, not six years, my goodness, but definitely still have scar tissue that I knew was there. So I do wonder, but my God, that must've been a crazy experience for her. I can't imagine. Yeah. And I, I do think I've been thinking about this a lot with like people's periods and listening to how people talk about like just the the pain of being a woman basically yeah (laughs) like the things you know how many women have these like crazy intense periods but you never hear about it unless you're like an intimate friend of theirs that they feel like comfortable opening up about having endometriosis and that they're like bedridden every month because of their period or something but there's Yeah, that there's like all this pain that you kind of take in and try to like normalize in a way. So I I wonder too about and I think about this too, for myself with like having arthritis and what my pain tolerance probably is, it's probably very high, but I don't really know, because you just have to like kind of put it away somewhere and truck on with your day. But what if we all like actually had the chance to talk about and feel the pain that we're in then we might realize that there's probably quite a lot more there than we think absolutely I know there's more for <laughs> and you and then we'd actually you realize yeah definitely but I I just find I think that's interesting that and I think with this person saying that her postpartum period was six years I'm not really sure exactly like this context of what that six years meant but I think that 
you know, some people might be a little bit more in touch with that feeling of being like something's not right. right. That, you know, and I, I think especially with childbirth and postpartum, you, I mean, what I hear a lot from especially older women saying like, well, I had my, my kids and now my body's just wrecked. Right. And that's such a common thing to talk, to say. And it just doesn't need to be that way. We, I, I think that I've talked to so many women who have said that my body's never been the same since I've had children. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like it it's that. Then you. I would consider that like you're still in your postpartum period because you still don't feel like yourself. Well, then it's been a long time I've been my postpartum period. Because <laughs> 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 you don't, you, it changes you. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it does change. And you, your body's growing too because you are um, as you go yeah. through the years. But it's it's not the same as it was prior to giving birth. It just isn't. And I don't know if it can be truly because you are different. Yeah, I don't mean it should be exactly the yeah. same. But I, I don't feel like you should feel you like should feel it so much. your body's a foreign yeah. place. Yeah, yeah. I, agree. I agree. But it changes you. It definitely does on, on every possible level. Yeah. But I'm, I mean, as much as, you know, we talk about it, I think it's talking about it in the right way that um, makes the difference for people to really understand how it changes too, not just scare tactics. Yes, definitely. Well, how would you, how would you want to see that be different? Um, I would really like to see people respect others. I think one of the hard things were um, to experience were people that just felt like it was okay to come up and touch your stomach and um, That's crazy. say their birth story to you without you knowing them sometimes, um, actually a lot of time. Um, and so I think, you know, people respecting other people's spaces, just because you're pregnant doesn't mean that you want to know, or you want people to touch you in ways that you're not comfortable with. And yeah, it's like when people, like I was saying, when people are pregnant or moms and they've just like given up their right to consent. It's true. <laughs> it is absolutely true. And it, it should not be that way. So if I could change anything, that would be huge. And I, and to respect people and not. And not to give them the scary story, but to just kind of lift them up and, and, you know, just let them know, hey, if you have questions or if there's something I can do to help, please feel free to ask. But to lift them up in a way so that they're not afraid. I think motherhood and being a parent and going through the birth process is the most amazing experience that our bodies can go through and our lives can, you know, um, have play a part in but it's also probably the most frightening time too so the more that we can lift each other up the better it is and I think as women we yeah. tend to easily knock people each other not necessarily men but we knock each other down very quickly and and that's just another way that women do that to each other and it that should change yeah I agree we should never ever body shame um, at all, especially for pregnant people, you should never make them feel less than because you're, they're doing something amazing with it for a child, um, for another yes. human life. So that's another piece that I'd like to see change. I agree. And I haven't given birth and I, that's what I think. I feel like just all the judgment and all that stuff kind of comes to a head 
in that stage. And I would love to see that not be the case. I would case. like to see that not be the case at all, period, for anybody, whether you're pregnant or not. Yeah. But most importantly. Then, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I just think that that's a time where a lot of that comes up because people have so many opinions about the right way to be pregnant and to give birth and to parent and you don't need anyone's unsolicited advice Correct. and everybody has their own beliefs and they come to um pregnancy and and parenting and from different places and so no one should offer anybody else an opinion unless they're asked for advice right yeah 100 percent. but you were also asking about postpartum we were talking yes. about that a little bit earlier. I do have to say I feel fortunate in the fact that I probably experienced some postpartum, um, but only on the level of just the changes that were going on and I'm tired and adjusting. I didn't have some of the depression that you hear about. Um, and maybe I did on some level, but, you, you know, I, I just kind of went through it and I was, I feel like I was fortunate to not have so much, um, but I, I do feel like it's such an important issue for so many women and it's something that's just not talked about enough. Yeah. Well, what was your postpartum support like? Um, I had family that I could talk to and I think probably my biggest support was um, Auntie Eileen because, because she had at that point seven kids and her youngest was just two years older than you. So she was new, you know, she was right in it at the same time as me. Like I, I could ask my mom something, but I mean, it had been, you know, quite a long time since she had had a baby. So having somebody that had just been going through it pretty consistently and who was also a nurse was, that was my big support system. I always feel like I wouldn't have gotten through it without her. And maybe I would have experienced a lot more postpartum or, depression or issues or or things without her but she was my saving grace that's amazing yeah I feel very lucky and although I had sisters like you were what the eighth um kid born or ninth kid born in the family but it was different it was it was easier to go outside that and to get that you know medical as well as uh personal support from from her I'll always be grateful for that. Yeah, that's really a really important person to have had. Yeah. I think um, like a lot of people here, just because the nature of the city that so many people aren't from here, most people aren't, I guess, that I work with. Um, So a lot of them don't have family nearby. And I think that's where having a postpartum doula, I mean, there's so many reasons to have one, but I think that that's a big one too is, because first of all, we live such independent lives these days, how our world is set up. There's none of that like community or village, which is how we would traditionally raise kids. Um, so that's lacking. But then also people don't really tend to have family around like you, you did. Um, so that's such a, I don't know. I think that's such a great resource that you have. Oh, absolutely. And I'm and as we like grow up, right? Too, I think. Yeah, you had your your cousins around um, uh, until we moved here. But even then, we tried to make sure that you were close enough to to go see them. But still, and that's a support system. But yeah, uh, in some ways, I feel like I had um, 
a doula, you know, in Auntie Eileen, although she wasn't at the birth process, she's always somebody I could pick up the phone and say, is this normal? Am I supposed to be doing this? You know, is this right? Or is the baby supposed to be acting like that? And she was so helpful. Yeah, everybody needs to have someone. And, you know, I'm so glad that you're a doula because I know that you've helped so many women who don't have that support. Or even if you do have your family support, it's different, you know. It's different to have someone, I think, who's like an unbiased participant in your life, like who's not like, you know, not your mom who gave birth to you because that's hard. That's got its own like challenges I think all those relationships have so much history to them so it's nice to have someone who doesn't know every aspect of your life to be able to give you that support and I think that's why Auntie Eileen worked because she wasn't my sister she was yeah you know she's married to dad's brother and so it she was different you know and it was it was definitely safer in many ways Yeah. yeah and much more comfortable even though, you know, I'm very comfortable with my family. I think that that piece was a big part of it and why it worked. Mm-hmm. And great throughout your growing years, too, to pick up the phone and say, is this normal that she's acting this way? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was handy more yeah, than once. Definitely. <laughs> it's those teen years. <laughs> I'm sure every year. <laughs> no, you're a good kid. <laughs> but everything comes up okay. in me just, you know, when they get sick or, you know, you just have things that happen that you need somebody that's not the doctor or, or somebody to just pick up a phone and ask. And someone that has knowledge is so huge. Yeah. Someone right, you trust. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but for people who go through postpartum, I wonder what their trust and support levels are and and how that can be different so that they can get the help that they need yeah I I mean I think what I mean there's so many ways that we can do a better job at serving women in the postpartum period but I I think especially when you're talking about like the mood disorders that can come up um the fact that we don't have anything in place for women other than the six-week appointment is probably one of the biggest things that needs to change because you need to be screening and like some pediatricians are good about kind of checking in with the mom as well but not as much and even the ones that do it's not nearly as much as they should be so for a lot of women if they don't have like a postpartum doula they don't have anybody who is like a professional person who can distinguish from like what we call baby blues and what is actual like a mood disorder that could be dangerous for them or for their baby. And other than that six week appointment and lots of times those are, you know, I find that people say that they don't really get anything out of those, that they don't get enough time with their doctor. They just kind of like, check them out, make sure their organs are mostly in place and say like, all right, you can exercise and you can have sex and that's, that's that. See you in another six yeah. weeks. And maybe yeah. they might ask you, are you sleeping okay? And then, you know, you're going to say no. And they're like, yep, that's kind of right. And that's it. Yeah. They ask you very vague Correct. questions for the screening. Correct. So you can't really pick up on much no. anyway. 
You're like, are you bummed out? Yes, of course I am. Like, hello, my whole life. I'm tired. I haven't slept in six weeks. What do you think? (laughs) You're right. I think that does have to change. And, and, you know, I think through the years, we've gotten a little bit better of even acknowledging and recognizing postpartum, thankfully, but it's, that's only the tip of the iceberg. There's so much work to be done um, because people are suffering and, and, babies have died and so something has got to change and I think that six week or the first six weeks is critical where we could send even like a visiting nurse or doula or a therapist or even a team in to just check how you doing and I mean when I hear that you're going in to help a mom and even help prepare food and letting the mom sleep and taking the baby outside that in itself could help a lot um oh that's huge for people like you you know just for anybody someone who doesn't even feel like they're suffering but like I think of someone I worked with recently who like see well you know was generally doing fine but she's like I used to work 50 hours a week and now I'm just sitting here with this baby like I don't care if you do anything for me but just talk to me please you're another adult yes because you know I think that's just that that we forget like okay I'm excited I'm gonna have this baby but holy moly my whole life has been turned upside down and we and as Americans identify ourselves by our work and so when you take that away and now your work is this baby you need time to adjust yeah 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 like oh my god I'm a yeah you like lose your identity I'm not a CEO uh, running a company. Um, I'm changing a diaper and I'm sitting here talking to no one and watching daytime TV. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. It's not healthy. Yeah. Right. And like I was saying, the fact that we live in these like independent lives kind of, and like we really value just being able to like do it, you know, like you're just supposed to get over it and like do all the things. It's just such an unhealthy attitude. And I think it really, takes away from what people really need where at that time I think you need some you need like many people coming in and like making you food and making it so that you don't have to do much and are just like surrounded by people who care about you and take care of you so that you can take care of yourself and your baby that's exactly how it should be yeah we just we just have to change things and and the more that it's done and the more that it's provided the more it becomes the culture of how things are done. And we mm-hmm. just, I mean, I think it being a, a postpartum doula makes the most sense um, so that you can go in and, and change that culture by working with those moms and not just once, you know, a number of right. times they need yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. It's so, it's such yeah. an isolating time. I do remember feeling that way, feeling very isolated and not really knowing what I was doing, but expected to know. And what the heck did I know? I mean, when I had you, I was 24, almost 25. I don't know anything at that age, but I, I was expected to, and you shouldn't. And even if I was 45, what would I know? I'd never had a baby before. So it doesn't matter how old it's just, you have to have that support and you need to have that transition time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you had like sisters and stuff and still felt isolated. So Right. It's just such a, I think it's such a part of it is that that's just something that happens and we need to figure out a way that we can reduce that for people. Absolutely. I agree. 
hopefully we can um yeah i hope so it seems like there's a lot of initiatives happening to get that change i think so too yeah it's it's good i think that we're kind of getting towards something at least there it seems like progress is happening well i i really felt that way um our you know cousin is the state rep and that's one of his um platforms is to really support postpartum work and i was impressed by that because i thought if this state rep is making that part of his platform and it was such an important thing to him then yeah and he's that's a, man. a man right that wants to make a difference for for women and it, I thought it spoke volumes of who he is and I know he's a social worker for his background but still he's a man who doesn't necessarily think about women in postpartum but he clearly does and he can see that yeah it's it's a problem that has to be fixed and changed it's amazing yeah I'm really happy to hear that that's happening me too me too I'm so proud of them it's huge yeah, and um, Dad sent me an article in the Boston Globe the other day about um, their yeah, just about postpartum doulas being needed, and um, like I met with those people at the Motherhood Center here in Manhattan last week um, that are providing like actual like inpatient treatment to women that are having severe postpartum oh, wow. and depression and anxiety, which is amazing. Um, and they also do support groups for anybody. Um, and they do like childbirth ed. They have a ton of resources, but I just think that that's so cool that they're really trying to like work with people and provide like psychiatric help and um, everything. It's awesome. That is awesome. And there, yeah, there needs to be more stuff like that too. Cause it, it doesn't have to, it's not like it's, I don't know. It doesn't need to be a shameful thing. And we definitely, there's definitely still that present that it's a thing of shame. And it shouldn't be. I know it is. I know it is. Yeah. And it it absolutely shouldn't. It's, it's a mental illness. And I think we still struggle in this country with people with mental illness and yeah, generally we we are terrible at it. We are and, and slightly better, but still slight. And there's so much yeah. work that has to be done for that as well. And, and, and postpartum falls in that category, but I think even more yeah. so it's like not, it's like, well, you just have the baby get over it. You shouldn't feel that way. Right. It's like you, yeah, your baby's healthy, you're healthy, Be like happy, you're, move yeah. on. Right. Yeah. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It is. It's Yeah. It's just such an absurd expectation that we have of people. Yeah. So like, you know, here we're supposed to be like, you have to be the best worker, you have to be the best mom, and you just have to be happy about it all of the time. True. That's just not... (laughs) There's no space for that. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Not at all. Um, Well, one thing I I do ask everybody is about what their sex ed was like. Oh, that's a great question. It's interesting to hear the answers. Um, I had no sex ed at school. Um, no, really? Uh, you know, I watched the movie. I shouldn't say none. Um, I did watch the puberty movie. Um, so that's about as much yes, as I exactly, had to. Yes, exactly, which was ridiculous. Um, and then in fourth grade, my cousin got pregnant, which was the 
big shock of the family, lo and behold, that I know that there was a whole lot that had happened prior to this person being pregnant in the family, but it was like such a big, but you didn't know, no, I didn't then. know that, <laughs> that it was a regular practice. Um, but, and because she was 18 and pregnant and the families were up in an uproar, I remember my mom sitting me down and telling me that about, um, having sex and when, but I didn't really understand it. And, um, then when I think I was, what did she tell you that? Do you remember? No, I'm no, not really. Um, I think it wasn't, I don't think I was ready for it. So I didn't really understand. I just knew that my cousin Debbie was pregnant and she wasn't married and they were sending her away and she was giving the baby up for adoption. That's all I knew. Um, and uh, I later learned that she really didn't want to do that, but she felt forced to do that. Um, That's awful. Yeah. Um, but I don't really know all the story, so I can't really say um, what what that was, if that's even true. I don't really know. But then I remember when I, I don't know how old I was, but there was an article in Reader's Digest that Nana handed to me and then to Uncle Didi and told us that we had to read it. And it was all about really the science of sex. And um, it was <laughs> ridiculous. And that was it. And I know that she felt really open about talking to us about sex only because she talked about sex, not really the act of it or what it meant or any of that. She's just raunchy. Correct. <laughs> so, you might want to edit that part out <laughs> but yes yes and that but there really wasn't a whole lot of discussion about it and which I think I think probably led to what I thought I was telling you and Dylan as being enough because you don't know so you're kind of using your own experiences and wanting to be open and wanting to discuss it but you don't talk about all parts of it. You don't talk about masturbation. You don't really talk about like the active sex and the feelings as much as you should. Um, yeah. But, you know. Or just like, you know, the preparing yourself. Yeah. Or like consent. I think that I'm happy to see that that's a big thing that people are talking about with their kids these days which I just don't think anybody was at the time about consent when I was growing up yeah like you just don't teach that it was not even a conversation anywhere um no we never talked about like you know being safe or saying no yeah I thought we had no but I uh I mean saying I think saying no and stuff, but I, I just think like that general conversation, it, it just wasn't really something. And no one I knew growing up either had had that conversation. Huh. It was never really about like that you could make decisions, really. It was just like this is the thing that's going to happen. That's terrible. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because you really do have control over your own body. And I guess I didn't even think you of should. that. Yeah, I, I just think it's the way that we're, you know, we're kind of shifting how we talk about stuff, and it's definitely for the better. I agree, I agree. And I'm happy to see that, because I, I think, um, I've talked to Ashley, so Ashley has a son who's six, right? Seven, Max will six be seven, seven, yeah. About um, 
like I've, I've posted some things about how, you know, the telling kids that they need to go hug a stranger, like they have to like show this person affection that they don't want to. But, you know, that's such a common thing that people do, like parents do. You're like, okay, go hug grandma or whatever, or go hug this person. And the kid is like, no, I don't want right. to. And, and not pushing that issue because that's kind of the first the first entry into teaching consent and teaching that you do get to have like the body autonomy and tell people when they are allowed to be hugged by you and when they're not. <laughs> Which is so interesting because you never think of that when... Right, exactly. You don't. And it's like, oh, well, you're supposed to hug them because you're a family member or... I might yeah, know and them polite. and feel really safe and comfortable with, with the person, but that doesn't mean the child does. So right. I, I like that shift. Like, can you me give me too. a high five so I can just, you know, let you know that I care about you, but I'm not going to invade your space beyond that. And and that's yeah. so much better. I like that a lot. Like, it, yeah. don't, don't force a kid to hug, especially somebody they don't know, but even those they do that they just don't want to. It's okay yeah, to say I no. Think, Cause it exactly. And it, it's, it's an important, it's, you know, I think it's actually a huge thing, but it, it does seem like a kind of smaller step towards really like setting kids up to have a better relationship with that. Because when you're telling them that they, they don't have to do anything that they don't want to do, then they're going to be able to actually understand what they do and don't want to do moving forward. Yeah. And in- you know, and it wow. just like sets them up for a better relationship with that. And with like, I think, you know, regardless of like sex consent, but understanding like what you want and need and like, you know, do I feel like I need some physical affection today or whatever, you know, and I, I think it just sets them up for like a way healthier relationship with everything. And by you putting it into that context, you're, you're a hundred percent correct. But honestly, I'm guilty of it because I never thought of that. Yeah, I I'm sh- I know I told you to go hug whomever, you know, never, right. never thought of it and in that way, but it makes perfect sense. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can we go back and do a do over? Yeah. Let's start over. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's try again. Did you move back <laughs> home? We'll try again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fix all my mess ups. no I mean I just think like you said you know you took what you learned from Nana and like your own experience and built upon it and did things differently and then I'll probably do things like take what I learned from you and then do what I do and then it will just keep going because every generation learns new things and And thankfully so yeah because I mean everybody has a whole slew of mistakes and things that they'd want to do differently when they look back on things. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. And there's no, re- there's no point in like bogging down on that, but just understanding that there's always going to be things. And the ho- I mean, that's the, that's the point. Ideally, we're just going to keep moving forward and have more things that we all get to learn and grow from as a whole culture. Right. And I guess that's what makes us better and, and gives us a, that opportunity to grow too, right. as we learn from our mistakes and failure is okay. Um, yeah, it's important. It really is. It really is. You know, you just hope that you don't hurt 
anyone in the process of those failures. And, and sometimes you do without meaning to, but knowing that you can grow from it and change it is what matters too. Yeah. And I wouldn't call those things like failures. They're no, just like, no, they're not. They're just how it was. There are failures that happen that though that's, you know, that's a different thing. I think when you do like just really actually harm somebody, oh, but that's different. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. But I mean, just even different parenting styles are things that go on when you're parenting, but um, something like that, something so simple that who would have thought, you know, I'm asking you to hug your aunt or your uncle or whatever, but you don't want to what that really can mean later on. No one stops to think that. So it's so great when someone does so that the next generation can learn from that failure so that they don't hurt that person. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's neat. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's interesting. It's interesting to think about all that stuff. And like, I don't know if it, how it was when I was, a baby about like parenting styles. And I think it's honestly kind of overwhelming right now that people are like making that into this whole competitive judgmental zone. But Mm. yeah, (laughs) it's interesting to like take on some of those things and kind of think about how, you know, how to devise your own style, I guess. But um, it's very interesting to me. Those, it's such a complicated thing. It is a complicated thing. And, and it's also really complicated when you add in two people that come from two different backgrounds and then bring yeah. that together and without communication. And that doesn't just happen once, but constant. It, it, it's, it's difficult. And that could be a whole nother few hours of conversations about yeah, the parenting. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's, yeah, that's a huge thing. Absolutely. Huge topic. Cuz there's I'm sure there's just like endless little things even. Oh, absolutely. It's just like it can be something so simple that you'd be like, "Why why are you doing that? Why would that be what you do?" And sometimes <laughs> it's situational. Like it's yeah. one situation can be totally different from the other and you're like, "What? <laughs> what are you doing?" or or you yourself are questioning your own, Hey, what are you doing? How are you reacting? Um, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Parenting is wow. (laughs) There's no other (laughs) word for it. It's not anything that you can prepare for truly. I mean, you can, but it's not, but you can't at the same time. It's interesting. I think it just endlessly kicks you on your butt. Yep. That would be true. I would imagine if I like take a step back and look at, how you must have handled my whole life is like I just kept throwing you curveballs <laughs> Kaylee you were a great kid I mean I, you hear from other parents and stuff some of the different things that have occurred and it's like I, I think dad and I always say we just are so lucky that you and Dylan are the people that you are and grateful but um even with that we all have challenges and yeah I mean I do think that I do think like I could have been a way more difficult oh yeah yeah however I was definitely no walk in the park but you weren't awful (laughs) no you weren't a walk in the park either (laughs) I do twitch a little no I'm kidding (laughs) it's part of growing up that's yeah you know (laughs) It's a constant work. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's 
constant work for all of us to grow as people. So that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're always getting better, right? Hopefully. That's the, that's the plan. Yes. Yes. Um, well, I, I know it's getting past your bedtime. (laughs) Is there anything else you'd like to tell me? You're so funny. It's 1030 and I will be up at 430. So yeah, it's kind of past my bedtime. Um, anything else? Um, no, I think, I think we kind of covered it all in the, in the birth process and, and everything that comes with it. And, I think for any listener, I just hope that they remember that a support system is crucial to being the time when you are pregnant to the time that you're giving birth and when you're raising children and not to be afraid to talk about how you truly feel because that will be ultimately what's going to help you the most. And when you pull back and and don't talk about it, I think that's where the isolation sets in. And even when you think you have a support system, but if you don't, if you don't tell people how they f- you feel, they're not going to know. And then I think it can be detrimental to you personally, um, not necessarily to your kids, but I do think your kids feel it too. And without question. So be open, talk and reach out and get support. That's lovely. Yeah, important. I agree. Yeah, Definitely. Well, thanks, Mom. You're welcome, honey. And thank you so much for asking me. This has been great. I loved it. Of course. I'm glad you could remember. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with my mom. Let me know if you have any questions or feelings about anything. I'd love to hear from you. And show your mom some love and show all the moms in in the world some love today. Happy Mother's Day to all you out there. I hope it's lovely. Thanks for listening.